This is Father Joseph Anthony Crest. And this is Father Patrick Briscoe. Welcome to God's Planning. Thank you to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like, subscribe uh, to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcast. And Father Patrick, it is our joy to have another guest on the show. And today we are welcoming Blake, Blake Bruliette uh, from That's a tough Denver, one. Colorado. Yes, it is. I just typically refer to you as Balake. Uh, yes, you for do. For a variety of reasons. But uh, Blake Bruliette is with us from Christ in the City uh, Missions, and they're based out of Denver, Colorado. So, uh, Blake, I just want to welcome you to the show. It's a joy to have you. We've known each other for a little bit uh, in the great work that you guys are doing with Christ in the City. Uh, but give us uh, a few uh, kind of highlights. Introduce yourself, uh, the ministry, and what you all do. Yeah, fathers, thank you for having me. It's an honor to to be on the podcast. Uh, just love to get the East Coast crew in there, you know, as as we just expanded there this year. It's a new new region for us. So, yeah, as you guys said, my name is Blake Brulia, not Blake. Blake is the name, um, and <laughs> uh, currently managing director at Christ in the City. Um, I've been with Christ in the City for, gosh, this is the start of my eighth year, um, and Christ in the City is to just that good elevator pitch of a young adult formation program that serves the chronically homeless and the poor. So we bring in uh, young adult volunteers, as well as the greater community and college students, which is originally how Father Joseph Anthony's campus got to know us on mission trips. And we bring in volunteers and we form them in their missionary identity, empower, equip them to then go and serve the poor, as is essential in our Christian mission. Um, and that is being missionary as a Christian. There's a there's a unique aspect of your your mission and and how you approach this issue of poverty, homelessness, mm -hmm. and things like that. And as you were kind of making reference to being a college chaplain, we collaborate a little bit. We send our college students out on spring break mission trips or other times throughout the year. Yeah. But um, what is different about Christ in the City on how you approach the the chronically poor uh and the, the chronic homelessness um that you find in denver colorado and now in philadelphia yeah the best way i think to to really highlight what we do compared to other organizations is we are not social workers or caseworkers so social workers caseworkers have their place they are essential um to provide the services right the church has so many excellent ministries as well as you know the world and civil society and they provide services they are the ones who provide the meals the food the housing the shelter those things christ in the city has found our place in this gospel mission is with encounter specifically it ends up being manifested through the chronically homeless and that's a little background on homeless um, generally 10 percent of the homeless are regarded as chronically homeless and 90 percent of homeless get off the streets within a year. That 10%, they're the ones who are known as service resistant. They're the ones who are expected to unfortunately like die on the streets is really what we've as a society and world like kind of expected from that population. They're the ones you think of on the street corners. They're the ones who cost the city so many thousands of dollars. And, and, and at the end of the day, I mean, money is money, but the chronically homeless are those, again, the service resistant. 
So what we found our place in this gospel message, this mission is to go to the chronically homeless, to create friendship with them. That rupture of relationships that we love to talk about is such at the, the core of homelessness. And we go to this lonely population and we treat them as friends, right? We get to know them. We build rapport. We send our missionaries and encourage our volunteers to be consistent um, as that then builds relationship. That builds this continuity and the homeless are able to see like even like we have one just amazing, miraculous story of a guy who it took him like two years of seeing our missionaries every single day to want to talk to the missionaries. But that's what consistency does. That's what presence does. And that's what we believe the Lord has asked from us. So we complement the other resources. We aren't here to, you know, take them over or, you know, we need the soup kitchens. We need the shelters. We're here to complement all of those. Well, break. I'm just going to keep the tradition going. Yeah, no, let's uh, go. Well, break. Let's do as, it. Uh, as Father Bros of Anthony oh, was you guys saying, are just um, roasting yeah. me here. Good. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I, I, on the show here, we talk a lot about friendship. Um, mm -hmm. And yep, partly yep. because it's a word that our culture doesn't really understand. Friendship means a lot of a lot of different things to a lot of people today, and often yeah. it has a very shallow definition. So. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying, one of the things we're trying to do is to, to build this out, right, in, in our in our framework, coming especially from the tradition of St. Thomas, right? This is what Dominicans do. Um, <laughs> we talk about friendship. But um, I, I wonder if you, if you could unpack just a little bit of, of what this actually looks like, because it's easy to take a grand reset, like, oh, well, we go on the streets and we befriend homeless people. And my more skeptical side says, like, really? You know, how is that possible? Like from, you know, from an intellectual perspective, right? I cling to the definitions of friendship that we, that we talk a lot about, right? And we say, well, that means, that means choosing to pursue wholeheartedly a shared common good. So, so how do you find that with someone yeah. you encounter on the street, someone who's going to be very different than say an undergrad that's active in their, their college mm -hmm. chaplaincy, or even some of the volunteers that do long-term mission with you, you know, ha, ha, can you help us understand where, where does this all start? Yeah. What a good question, father. Um, so one thing I think that's like, just, we, it was my experience the first time I went to the streets. It's so many of our missionaries and volunteers experience the homeless are humans, right? And there are so many things we desire. It, it sounds ridiculous, but like, it's so easy to brush over that, like they are our brothers and sisters. And there are so many commonalities between man, between brothers and sisters, right? Where you don't even know a person, but you know, they have a mother and father, you know, right? They, they most likely had siblings. A lot of our friends on the street have children and family members and people they love. And even if it's not pure, right? Or perfect, which in a fallen world is, we know that's not possible anyway, um, but just it, it may be different levels of friendship for different people. But I think in my own life, I, I think it's easiest just to share stories, right? And the, the moment I realized that I had a friend on the street, not just someone I was serving was, um, we were on a, a street tour, so we were going and it was one where we we're trying to teach this group how to just observe and just really dive into the lens of what would it be like being homeless? 
And as we're going um, on the streets, you know, I see uh, a man walking across the street and he has his walker and you can't miss that walk. I mean, he's going slow, hunched over. And I'm just like, it's Charlie. Oh my gosh, I haven't seen Charlie in so long. And I just yell across the street. And I'm like, Charlie. And in the moment, I was surprised by my own excitement. Like, in all honesty, I, I surprised myself because, you know, it, it rocked me. I'm like, I was overjoyed to see Charlie after a few months. <laughs> and then Charlie, I mean, so slow, just so slow, turns his head, you know, over the, the traffic. He just yelled, it's about time. And it was just like <laughs> the biggest smile on his face as he said that. And of course I crossed over and went and gave him a big old hug. And it was like, it, but it takes that moment, right? Because Father Patrick, it's a valid question. Like, what is he providing me? But really, what am I providing him? You know, it's like, if it's, if friendship is material things, I'm a bad friend to Charlie, you know, but in reality, it was, I was giving him and our missionaries and our volunteers we give the poor in whatever, even if it's college students, right? The one thing that they can't repay. And that's our time, our presence. Um, and I think that, yeah, so not sure if that answered your question, but I think it's like this, this friendship is built on just wasting time with people. Another phrase that gets thrown around a lot here. And it's something that is so small. It's almost meaningless. Um, and what we like to talk about in our trainings with our missionaries is the model of the friendship, the model of encounter we use is Mary and John at the foot of the cross, right? Jesus in his darkest moment, the moment of the most suffering, the most pain, the most agony, just truly at the end. And Mary and John were just there. They weren't distracted. They were just there. They weren't, they knew there was no water or medicine they could give him in that moment. They knew that they could not take away any of Jesus Christ's pain, any of his suffering. Like he needed to embrace that. Like this is what we've been given by, by Mary and John and, and Christ. And yet they were there, present. They didn't need to say anything. They didn't need to do anything. And I think many times in friendships, we think we need the right word, sir. But Mary and John, I mean, that's, that's my favorite example of friendship, you know, and I think at Christ in the City, we love it. And they were just present. So that's an image and that's uh, an aspect of friendship that I'm probably going to have to meditate and pray on a lot more. I wish I could ask more questions, but like, I'm going to have to sit with that puppy for because yeah. like, I've thought about the the moment of the crucifixion. I've thought about all the, you know, interpersonal dynamics that's happening through there. Um, but I haven't really looked at it in that, that phrase, that phase or that optic. So I think that's going to be really beautiful. Um, as many, as many questions as I think I would want to ask on that, I want to refrain just a little bit, but I, I picked up on something in that story about Charlie that you said, which I think is really important. And through my experience of collaborating with uh, Christ in the City and, and other organizations to serve the homeless, um, but I would like to, you to kind of talk a little about the a little bit about the importance of a name. That's mm -hmm. something that I've uh, definitely encountered in serving uh, the homeless and the poor. Is 
uh, for many of them, they have these kind of alter egos and names that they go by on the streets. Yeah. And then there's this beautiful like watershed moment of trust and vulnerability of when they finally reveal maybe what their legal name or their birth name is, which is very mm -hmm. different than what they go by on the streets. And yeah. so in your experience, um, both individually and personally, but also uh, with the missionaries, can you talk a little bit about like how what that dynamic is like in building relationships, building friendships? but how it is that names play into that because it's it's a very pivotal moment of when doing mission on the streets when you find out some they're willing to reveal their uh name their kind of true identity in that sense can you talk about yeah, like, it, how that it's uh, intimate. looks like right yeah. it's intimate and it's just like it without even needing to speak into it i'm sure all you listeners can just pick up on that too it's like oh yeah to know someone's name that's like that's like a part of them right and i think of course, the Lord, and I mean, you guys are way smarter than me. You could go into all the theology behind names and their importance. And I think I'll, I'll, I'll take the practical route here. But um, <laughs> when we're on the streets, you know, um, we had one friend tell us, and we use this a lot at Christ in the City, because it's not a, a singular story. There are many stories that could like insert different people. This has happened to them they will go months without hearing their name. All right. And that is, wow. that is like, just like end of comment. Like they go months without hearing their name. So let's just start with that of like, yeah, Father Joseph Anthony. It's like, sometimes they will reveal their name, but even nicknames, right? Like sometimes they just love hearing their nickname, you know? And it's, but it's one where, I mean, it's it, just, just hypothetically, right? We, when we look at the, the creativity of human beings, right? But we also look at the journeys, right? The, the journeys that they are on, you know, a name is what they grew up with, right? It became a part of their identity, not their full identity, but a part of their identity. It's, it tells a story. It tells a story of their life, right? And being allowed into that name is allowing you into their story. You know, and, and some of our friends, they're afraid, right? Because mm -hmm. to let someone in, the streets aren't safe. I mean, these, some of these places they live, even those who are housed, like they're not places of a lot of trust and safety and security, right? And you just grasp yeah. onto these things that can, I, I don't know, right? Like we want a little control. We want to feel <laughs> yeah. that safety it's a basic human need and when you're let into that part of someone's life it shows trust right now I, i'm not in i'm not inferring like what level of trust or how big of a deal it was to people but you know nicknames you know sometimes sometimes they're fun insert all the other reasons for nicknames sometimes they just signify like friendship and love uh, but other times it can be hiding something. But when you let someone know your name, it truly is, especially I, even those who don't have nicknames, when I find out people's last names and they're willing to share them with me, right? It's just, again, another level of intimacy. Um, and Father Patrick, you mentioned friendship and it's like, I don't know where on the friendship scale that is, but it's that trust in the friendship that we know is what's at real friendship.
Right. It's certainly a beginning, Blake, it seems to me. I mean, especially as you're, as you're articulating it. Uh, one of the things that I think is so interesting about the work that you're doing based on the reports I've heard from Father Joseph Anthony and from others that have worked with your organization um, is that your approach um, not only is working to heal a division in the world, yeah. you know, truly between those who have and have not, but also within the church. Um, you know, I have, I have a lot of different friends uh, all throughout the church that work in a lot of different places, right, in, in church life. and. Uh, one of the one of the classic divides is between those who are those who are for doctrine and or liturgy yep. and those who are for mission to the poor. Mm -hmm. um, so can you talk a little bit about your experience in the ministry um, and in your organization? Um, you know, and, and as healing as healing this kind of division between action and, and prayer or teaching, uh, we might say. And that, that I think is very prominent in the life of the church. Now, maybe maybe you don't think that's a problem. Maybe you don't think your organization heals it, but <laughs> yeah, no, but it well, seems it was, like you all are doing something different than most people are. It was one of the things our founder saw in the church that he didn't know how to fully address, but saw a program like Christ in the City could address it. So just you know, Father Patrick, it's something we do bring up frequently as we desire to be that reconciliation, right? And our Mary, Our Lady of Reconciliation, is one of the patron saints or our intercessors for Christ in the city. And Father Joseph Anthony seeing the beautiful statue in our chapel and just so, so real for, for the homeless. But I mean, who doesn't need reconciliation, right? It's so easy to think like, oh, well, you know, it should be clear in the streets, but not in the church. And, and what we found though, is our mission is doing a mission of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Right, which is ultimately what I believe both factions, as you may call them, believe they're doing. But what we've found is it doesn't matter. Like when there's someone hurting, when there's someone in need, it's so easy to rally people. It doesn't matter what their creed is, it doesn't matter what their opinions are. Like when we see others hurting, we want to do something. Right. Well, we hope we want to do something. We found the experiences most people do. Right. And one of the kickers that is just like so key in this is when we serve the poor, um, some of my favorite volunteers, some of my favorite personal donors I've had being here um, have been those who have fallen away from the church. Right. And we look at Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa had many atheist donors. There's one in uh, one of the books by Father Leo Masberg where they talk about, I believe, uh, one of the million-dollar donors to Mother Teresa was an atheist, right? And it's like, but the mission of Christ, natural law, our brothers and sisters, like that is that is something that can unify us. And then let us, the poor, the Lord, I mean, in many ways, he gives us the poor. Um, and one of those is to truly... Yeah. Yeah, because he could, I mean, let's be honest, the Lord could take away all the poor. <laughs> it's it's right. a reality, right? And that's <laughs> what some people think we're called to do. And it's like, no, we're called to encounter. We're called to love. You know, even the Lord didn't do that while he was walking this earth. Um, and so as as we're called to love, as we're called to encounter, we then just unify. And then we're able to see, you know, we see in the homeless this brokenness that's so external right? This, this, 
dirtiness sometimes or this rough exterior that then allows us to see deeper in our other friendships or in those other areas of the church that we may struggle with. Right. right? And it's a gift the poor give us. Right. And it, cause no, no friendship is mutual. You can't give if you're not also receiving. And sometimes it's not a normal friendship like we think, but sometimes it's really impressive. Um, And I think it's easy for everyone to rally around that. Sorry, that was a little tangent. I hope that was stream no stream of conscious enough there it makes sense like i love that idea of that the poor actually a gift um in that they they bear a certain type of dignity um that can never be taken away from them and that they they are a gift in many senses to us and i think that draws me back to one of the things you were talking kind of like throughout there early on when you said like what is crisis city well it's a it's yeah. a uh, an opportunity or a, a program of formation, uh, which is rooted in encountering the poor. And so understanding the poor as a gift, right? understanding that your organization actually is a program of formation, not to just eradicate poverty, but to enter into it as a mode of encounter and a presence of the person that's in front of you. Um, how, how do you do that with these missionaries? Because you're dealing mostly with recent college grads or sometimes college students who are taking some time off from college. And so these are relatively, um, how should we say, young men and women who got some rough edges around them and need to uh, mature and grow up. And you're throwing them into some really intense yeah. environments, uh, mm-hmm. just to put it simply. And no, it's it's honest, though. That is a real honest assessment. And yet it's sometimes it's beautiful uh how this works and so it's the missionaries who in many senses are the ones who are being formed it's the missionaries mm-hmm. who maybe spend 12 months 24 months with, with y'all that are changed as they go but how do you approach then a program of formation like what is it that you offer when you get these kind of uh more rough and raw college kids and say like all right we're gonna send you on the streets every day for a year um, like how do you approach that kind of formation? Yeah. And like you said, just in general, there has to be formation. Like we need to start with that premise. Like it is essential. It is necessary. It is what is due to our volunteers to send them in these moments, right? If we want to serve the poor and we want to serve our missionaries and volunteers and anyone who walks through our doors, we owe them formation to help them do this to a degree um that we are called to do so what that looks like at christ in the city of the you know the big picture is focusing on the four pillars the four pillars of formation that i know both of you had um in seminary because it was from pastoris dabo vobis right isn't that john paul ii's document look at me sounding smart for a second so (laughs) in in those documents though john paul ii lays out just the way to form Christians, human, spiritual, intellectual, and apostolic slash pastoral. So Christ in the city, if we were just a homeless ministry program, we would spend a lot of time on the streets, like all the time on the streets. If we were just an intellectual program, we would be a university or, you know, something like that. (laughs) If we were just a spiritual program, we'd be a house of discernment or a monastery, right? And if we were just a human formation program, we would be 
I don't know. I don't even know what that'd look like in all honesty. Um, but we're, we're a formation program based on those four pillars. So we try and we realize to serve the poor the best, we must focus on all four pillars. There needs to be a distribution of human formation, helping people understand themselves better, who they are, but as well as living in community as friends, as brothers and sisters, mm. um, proper relationships with men and women, proper understandings of themselves, their self-knowledge. Spiritual, we, we must pray. Like Mother Teresa gave such a great example of how many hours her sisters spent in the chapel each day when there was so much work to be done. Um, so we're, we root ourselves in the church, which is morning prayer, night prayer, and a holy hour and daily mass every day. Uh, and we could not do the mission without it. And then intellectually, we take accredited classes. So we're making sure these are, are real thoughts to learn Catholic social teaching. And finally, that apostolic pillar, which comes so naturally after those first three. But that's involving more of, you know, just this week we had an addiction um, training on what is addiction? How does it work? What is when you're serving someone with addiction, how do you approach them? So and then equipping in that apostolic formation, the missionaries or our volunteers or whoever it may be to serve the people that the Lord has called us to serve. We talk about this a lot. I mean, you refer, you reference Pastor Adabobis, um, the the great, um, you know, description of how seminaries should be run. But because I live at the Dominican House of Studies, I live at our seminary. We talk about these questions a lot, trying to train, trying to train our, yeah. trying to train our brothers, um, and each of us who are priests living here, trying to to figure out how we can grow in, uh, in our ministry. Father Joseph Anthony doesn't need this. He's running a running yeah, a top yeah. top program down there at UVA. The rest of us are still trying to figure it out. But um, the you know the 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 point here that I hear you emphasizing different from other programs is just the amount of time spent in prayer, and I, I love the comparison to Mother Teresa. I think a lot of people are, are are often surprised by how much time her sisters spend in prayer, and you know it was contested by by some you know even in her own lifetime. But Mother yeah. was asserted, yeah, this is this is what we need to keep on going. So it, is there a particular spiritual school? Is there a particular style of prayer? I mean, you mentioned, of course, the Liturgy of the Hours, uh, the Holy Mass. You know, this is kind of the background for the prayer of the church. But is this is there something else at the heart of this? Like who 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 moves you? Um, do, do you have patron saints? Maybe Mother maybe yeah. mother is one of your patron saints. What What's kind of spiritually speaking in the, you know, in the neighborhoods of the church? Where are you living? Yeah, no, that's a very good question. And I, and I think one thing, Father Patrick, to begin with, to answer that is we want to be the spirituality of the church. So we want someone who identifies with the Dominican spirituality, the Franciscan spirituality. Like it doesn't matter what you identify with. Our goal oh, is that it stays neutral enough in the church that we are a place for everyone. Whether you want to go to the traditional Latin mass or you are very charismatic. We want to like form a place that all are welcome. And last year and this year, we have that, that exact thing. So, uh, and I think it shows with the, the, the vocations our missionaries go to afterwards. Last, past year, we had um, a Franciscan Friar of the Renewal, a, uh, our late Sisters of Mercy from Alma, Michigan. We had a Servadora, like just all over the place, seminarians. So I'll start with that. But our patrons are John Paul II. Um, Mother Teresa, 
and Our Lady of Reconciliation. So Mother Teresa really, in how she served the poor, we look to and how she just viewed the daily life and just all the all the reflections she had on daily life and service to the poor and our role. And then John Paul II in his understanding of the human person, especially young adults, right? He he was just such a gift to us all. And then Our Lady of Reconciliation, there was there's a religious community who helps with the formation side, but it's very much it has a little flavor of them, but they've done everything they can and we continue to do enough to stay the spirituality of the church. And Our Lady of Reconciliation has come through and just I mean, with what we do on the streets with the missionaries in their lives, with the missionaries in community. I mean, anyone who walks through our doors, like we all need this reconciliation. Um, and then we are united in some virtues, right? So the Christ in the city, five virtues that the Lord just revealed to us slowly over the years that like, hey, all the missionaries and staff seem to be united on these things. And it's humility, joy, magnanimity, availability, and reverence. So some odd ones in there, um, but just truly what the spirit of Christ in the city and our missionaries can, you know, yoke themselves together with the pursuit of those virtues. Blake, we're, we're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, I, I feel like we could continue this um, in many no ways. No kidding. I feel like we're just starting. I know. There's so much more. Um but I guess in the next like 90 seconds, the last like quick hitters, yeah. I guess for somebody who's listening to uh, this that maybe doesn't live in Denver or Philadelphia and can't just be like, oh, Christ in the City is in my backyard. Let me go collaborate. Let me go support help. Um, how how would you encourage them to like take this understanding and how to engage with the poor in their local area? You know, yeah. what what's the number one thing that you would encourage them to do? Um, to to then start to enter into this type of a mission and this type of uh, evangelical, truly gospel way of encounter. Yeah, with 90 seconds, I'd say first being just convinced of your missionary identity. No matter if you're in the smallest town or a big city, the poor all around you, they're just going to look different. Whether that's a nursing home resident, whether that's a homeless person, whether that's your friends or family who are just struggling or a college student. The poor are everywhere, the spiritually poor. And if it does happen to be our brothers and sisters on the streets, the homeless, the first thing I'd say is introduce yourself. Just simply start by introducing yourself and start with your name. So it doesn't sound, you know, um, uh, it, like aggressive, but hey, my name's Blake. What's your name? And just say hello, right? That is so much more important than anything else can you, you can do. And the second step would be Bring water bottles, um, hand warmers during the winter, socks. Those are usually the three big things that are needed. And just feel free to give those out if you feel inclined and the Lord is calling you to that. Just just offer that at a stoplight. Offer that to someone on the street. Maybe keep a granola bar in your backpack or purse. Um, but start small. You don't need to solve problems, right? The homeless are not a problem to be fixed, but a person to be encountered. We've really dug our dug into that this year and it's so real that's awesome well uh blake thank you so much uh for your time uh, we really appreciate that uh you carved out a little bit of your time of the day to chat with us and spend the time with us and um for our listeners please uh, check out christ in the city if you do 
live in Denver or Philadelphia, we want to encourage you wholeheartedly go collaborate and, and support there. It's a phenomenal uh, mission, phenomenal group. They got great missionaries. Uh, shout out to Sophia and Olivia, two of our UVA grads that are yes. serving out in Denver. Got to got to rep the rep the Wahoo Wah out there. Um, yeah, well, notice they come to us because they need more formation from being at UVA with Father Jeff. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> oh, you're throwing that out there. Harsh, <laughs> harsh. That's it. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. I guess I'm not coming out to visit in the spring then. Uh, <laughs> no, please. But come. thank. We love you. <laughs> thank you to all of uh, all of our listeners. Thank you to listening to this episode of God's Planning. Please follow us on all social media platforms: Facebook, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Like and subscribe. Uh, leave a five star review. It really does help us out. And please comment uh, on the video if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, if you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can do so through Patreon. Follow the link in the description or the show notes. Uh, and you can follow the links in the description and show notes for God's Blaney merchandise or upcoming events uh, to stay informed with all that we are doing. Uh, thank you once again for everything. Uh, thank you, for Father Patrick, to join us. Thank you for Blake Bruliette for being with us this day. Uh, we appreciate all that you do. God bless. Mm-hmm.